Aloha. Mahalo for joining us here on The Conversation, Hawaii Talks. Today we jump into the HPR time machine. We rebroadcast stories, stitching music memories of Waikiki. Noe Tanigawa talks with the Peter Moon Band, featuring musicians Bobby Hall and Mark Yim. How did they help shape Hawaii's music in the 70s and 80s? They recall their experience playing everywhere, from little bars to festivals inside Diamond Head Crater during the Hawaiian Renaissance of the 1970s. We'll also revisit Noe's interview with another beloved musician from that era, Robert Casimero of the Brothers Casimero. He shares the origins of his distinctive voice and reflects on some of the most beloved songs. Come along as we immerse ourselves in the memories of the music scene in Waikiki. This is The Conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. I'm Catherine Cruz. Today we share two Hanaho interviews. HBR's Nui Tanigawa featured musicians from the Hawaiian Renaissance of the 1970s. For the first, she sits down with two members of the legendary Peter Moon Band, vocalist and guitarist Bobby Hall and vocalist and guitarist Mark Lim. It's, it's very hard to talk about that time and that genre without giving you know credit to Peter. You know, Peter, to me... Uh, was, uh, well, still is to me, a musical genius on the local level. Peter Moon. Peter Moon. Peter Moon. I mean, from the time that he started playing with the, you know, the Painois and the Kalimas on the early Sunday Manoa days, till he transitioned to Robert and Roland, till he transitioned to the Peter Moon band, he was, he had this concept for Hawaiian music, giving it the necessary respect that it has, you know, through history, but just cranking it up just enough to get more listeners and more people to feel the music, not just hear it. When they recorded Pandanus, that's basically a Peter composition from start to finish. You know, when we went into the studio, uh, and Mark knows this, this was an annual event for the Peter Moon Band, you know, while we were performing. Every December, every January, we're rehearsing for another album. We've been blessed by having good writers, you know, write for the Peter Moon Band. Yeah. Um, mm. Wakana, Patrick Downs, right. you know, Peter's a writer, Larry, who translates, you know, sure. Larry Chukura. Chukura. Yeah. So we've, we've had a good basis to work from every year, and the formula worked, so we kept doing it. But Peter would always come up with an instrumental piece every year. And mm. the year that he, you know, um, came up with Pandanus, that's all him. That's just him. You know, playing up in Manoa, probably thinking about it at Manoa Pool while he's getting all sunburned every day. You know, coming up with the right chords and stuff. Brings a basic song to rehearsal. And then you get the rest of the, the three of us or four of us just salt, pepper, you know, ketchup, whatever. And just turn it into, you know, what, what you hear. It just captured such <clears throat> a vibe. You know, tell me, Bobby, what, what, when did you first hear Peter's action that he put on music, you know? So what, what um, set the light bulb on for me was the uh, Sons of Hawaii. Okay. Was the, you know, Sons of Hawaii yep. album with Gabby and Mo and Eddie and Joe and Feet. Mm-hmm. That was just like, wow. You know, wow. I heard Hawaiian music before from my mom's time, but what is this? You know, so that excited me. And from there, the interest grew and it, okay, here's this other, you know, Sunday Manoa group with uh, Baby Kalima, you know, and Ciro Painu, he was like 18 at the time. Mm-hmm. Who's wow. these guys? And who's this guy with ponytail? You know, I'm kind of listening and say, wow, wow, this is interesting. And then they come up with, you know, like uh, Guava Jam. Guava Jam. Yes. Yeah. Guava Jam. Right? There were three iterations of the Sunday Manoa. Um, so Peter started out, like Bob said, with Baby Kalima, um, Ciro Painui who was right out of high school. And I think I mean, Palani too, yeah? Yeah, Palani yep, and That's actually it lit up Palani Vaughn. Palani Vaughn's first album was with Peter. Meet Palani, meet Palani Vaughn and the Sunday Manoa. Oh, yeah. yeah, and I don't know if this is in the correct order, but Bla and, you know, also played with Peter as right. part of the Sunday Manoa. Yes. Bla Pahinui. So, you know, these guys were like, wow. Oh, man. Just wow. Yeah. Where would they play? Yeah. Would they play live in there town? Was, there were always clubs. Where? Um, all over. Uh, Yoko's. They did a lot Ship. of stuff on the Windward side. Yep. You know, Shippers, really? Coolies. Home, yeah. uh, honeys yeah. before. Yeah. yeah. Honeys. honeys from Don's. Yeah. 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 They're all gone now. And yeah. where were they? Kaneohe Town? Kailua? Kaneohe Town. Yeah, Kaneohe yeah. Town. Yeah. Old Kailua, Kailua Town had, had places too, but had a couple places, they all disappeared. But all disappeared. Yeah. And 
No, How about here in town? town like yeah, Kalakaua had town. a couple. Oh, yeah, there were so get, the, get the small places. Like, you know, you remember Auntie Juno used to play on, was that Beto Street right. or downtown yeah. right across Hawaii Theater? Uh, yeah. In the early 70s and 60s, as, as most people our age remember, uh, there were showrooms, you know, in Waikiki. Bars everywhere. In bars in Waikiki? Bars in Waikiki, bars in uh, Kali. had tons of bars in Kali. I don't know if I, I was a nightclub person. You know, they had... Uh, like Ranch House, Aina Haina had music. Yep. Oh, uh, right. The Stein, uh, New Valley had music. Oh my gosh. You know, so, um, and all these places where you could play. But really, I had opportunity to hear the music in the yard, in in Pops, the yard. Oh. Because, you know, I, I had close friends in Waimanalo who lived just like right there. And before I even knew I was going to be playing music, I became friends with the family, you know, and not so much Peter because. You know, he's like this, yeah, in our book. But, what? Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, for me, oh, that's Peter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure, you know, entertainers our age probably have the same story. You know, music was all around. It wasn't, you know, just, you know, Waikiki or any place else, at least the type of music, local music that we like to, you know, hear. And you, you just, you know, it was there, you, you know. Whatever concerts was going on, whatever backyard stuff. I mean, there was a whole series of um, fundraisers and concerts going on in Waiholi Valley at that time. Oh, you know, right. and you see all the brothers, all the local musicians over there on a concert setting. You know, so you could you could get the That's music true. there. Yep, you the, could get the music out there. Um, what was it? The the Crater Festival, oh. right? Crater Festival. Was, yeah, that was the other one too. For years and years, they, uh, that's how. I was told by our sound man, that was how uh, these two guys, Henry and Cecilio, were discovered <laughs> on the side stage, not the main stage. So, oh, you mean, you know. so you were saying at that time, Cecilio and Capona were just a local act on a right. side stage. Yep. <laughs> and they, uh, <laughs> as was Kalapana, you know, uh-huh. as was Batdorf and Rodney, oh, uh, Seawind, uh, oh, yeah. all these guys, yeah. Everybody was hoping to, to hit. Hit some, you know, the somewhere. big stage with yeah. Carlos. <laughs> yep, exactly. You know, that tower of power. Yeah. Yep, exactly. War, war you know. Yeah. Uh, You're describing the music that was going on in mainstream when all the this great local music yep. was happening. And too. I think the mainstream music helped influence the local music because, you know, I, I'm from a time where you know music is the three That's what the parents, our parents, you know, taught us to play. But then you know when Peter. You know, Sunday Manoa, even the Pahinui's, when they started to play the same song, you know, with different, more current chords, it became different. You know, Blah, Martin, Cyril. Sure. I mean, their influence on the pop, on pop's music is that they, they brought in the Beatles. The, you know, the, 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 the licks, yeah, absolutely. the runs, yeah. you know, the, the, some of the arrangements is Beatles arrangements. Yeah. Uh-huh. Because that's, that's what... And, the, and the, driving, the, the driving rhythm. Yeah. So oh, if you yeah. listen to Pop's later recordings, you can hear that the chunking rhythm uh, that drives through. And, like what? Give me an example of a song. Um, uh, Le Nani, uh, okay. the, the song. Oh, yeah. I had asked Peter one time, we, we got to spend a lot of time together, all of us, uh, but I, uh, I was the young kid in the, the group at the time, so I was the, the, the roadie. I see you guys, you know, these guys always had golf or they had friends, they're going to, hey, Yim got it, you know, yeah. Yeah, I guess so, you know. <laughs> so I spent a lot of time with Peter and I asked him, I said, oh, so did Gabby teach me? He said, Gabby? He, he would look at me and, and tell me, stop it, you know. <laughs> and you just stop, you know. you know. Why are you doing that? You know, don't do that. But, but you, know, you know, again, I would say that the, the music of the current time, you know, helped to shape and influence the musicians back then. Yep. So it became what people called back then contemporary Hawaiian music. Mm-hmm. You know? And then, you know, um, you know, Peter... You know, I think he, he took up music in school or he, he just 
trained in <clears throat> classical or just the, the structure of music. So when he applied, you know, just ukulele, it was based on music theory, music structure, not just Beach Boy, four chords, right. oh. I'm going to sing to you, you know, <laughs> kind of stuff. Yeah, there was some, there was some thought behind that. Yeah. So it, it, it was technical for him, but it just magic, you know, just magic how it comes out. So right. going back to Pandanus, you know, we heard that, it's like, wow. How do you keep up with that? It seems so simple. <laughs> exactly. But it's and contagious, you know, it just right. it just yes. sticks. The the hook line just sticks, you know? Mm. Peter likes to when he when he uh, performed music or when he recorded music, he he likes to fill up the song. You know, and by that I mean, you know, instead of just um, and, and I'll sing it out, uh pandanus. Everybody else would just play that. But he always played like a, a, a response or an answer correctly. That's it. chord you drop. Yeah. And, oh. and, and even the chord changes, you know, simple chord changes most guys would do. But somehow, you know, between this chord and this chord, Peter squeezes in like four more chords. And, and that's like what Jake does now, right? <laughs> Sounds so fluid, you, you kind of just, eh, just passing, but no. So clean. Yep. So technical. And, you know, and it's an honor, you know, for both of us that our music is still being played today, you know, multiple years after it was, you know, recorded. And yeah. it sounds fresh. How do you do that, right? I don't know. I think, you know, time, you know, time rewards good stuff, I like to think, you know. I, I'd like to think that the effort and amount of time that we put in the studio, because that was torture for us. I mean, yeah. you come Christmas time, you give your family presents, and then you kiss, and kiss them goodbye. The goodbye. Exactly. You tell them, I see you in February, because oh. we're going to be recording. <laughs> I thought, you know, and I thought he was joking. And nope. You know, my wife was hot by the first year I joined the band. And sure, true that. Christmas time, after Christmas, you know, okay, rehearsals. Since rehearsals were piled right into the studio every, and because he and I worked during, uh, March and two worked during the day, we'd have to record at night after working all day. So what would it be about uh, five, six o'clock to midnight yeah. every night? Easy. Yeah. For a solid month. Yeah. And you know, the technology back then was different than what we have now. Correct. No <laughs> yeah. digital. No digital. Yep. Real you know, to real. Real to real. Cut. You had to sing on pitch. Yep. You know, you couldn't use auto-correct. something to autocorrect and move your flat yeah. tones up. Oh my! Like like nothing pe people do now. <laughs> yeah. It's wrong. Take it again. Oh boy! You know, yeah, take cut, it again. Take it again. Yep. Physically tape it together. Physically <laughs> tape it together. Yeah. Oh. They had the splicer machine tape? right there. Right there, there was a splicer. You know. Well, I was wondering what you guys um, decided to do when you put the reunion band together. I mean, you know, you had something in mind behind that. I, I think. Um, we call it the reunion band. Is that, is yeah, that what you call it? 2019, right? You know, there's a lot of um, people, fans from the time, that still remembers that music and still wants to hear that music. There's still an interest in it. So when we can, we try to play it. And for the, the four of us, and right now that's myself, Mark, Dwight Kanai, and... Um, Ocean Kawili. Oh, I just and, admire And sometimes guys. if Ocean, you know, because he's still a fire captain, mm -hmm. working for HFD, if he can't make him, then Kimo Bell jumps in, you know. <laughs> so there's there's still wow. there's still opportunities for us to try to 
recreate what we can. Uh-huh. Uh, it's it's not a perfect match, but you know, on what we did before. Um, I don't know anybody other than maybe Peter Jr. that can play like Peter. Oh, really? You know? Can he? He's. He's, he's pretty. He's, he's very pretty talented. Good, very he's talented. Good. Yeah. Does he play around? Um, he was. He was actually on tour for a long time with with Cyril when mm. Cyril was doing concerts. You know, sadly, uh, Cyril passed away as well. Oh. You know, in fact, all three of the Pahinui brothers and Martin's birthday actually was yesterday. Happy mm. birthday, Grams. Happy birthday. Mm. Yeah. But you know, um, but yeah. I don't know anybody that can do what Peter does. You know, a lot of guys can copy him technically, but he can create stuff. He can make things out of nothing. And, yep. and, and, and you know, that, that's just Peter. Did you ever get an inkling of where he got it, how that happened? You know, I I, I, I don't know. After a while, I just don't, don't want to ask. You know, I, I'm a partner slash fan. Where did he get it from? I think he's always had an interest in music, and I think he always tried to evolve music, you know, from where it was, take it up another notch with respect, take it up another notch with respect, and, you know, keep trying to, you know, explore different music genres, try to tie it in with a local flavor. All of our recordings, we had a a mixture of straight Hawaiian, uh, contemporary, ballads, Latin. 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 Peter had a driving theme, the uh, slack key X. You know, slack key samba, slack key oh, woogie, <laughs> slack key samba, slack key you know, whatever. Right. All oh, the sweat from an island song, losing ambitions and follow along. We could be dancing till early dawn, moving softly to the slack key samba. Every Something like that. We had a Leo, you know, composition which was usually a driving song, and, you know, and then yeah, we just turn it over to Martin. You know, I don't know anybody who can sing till today like Martin. I mean, till today. So when we first recorded as the Peter Moon Band, uh, it was just myself, Peter, and Randy Lorenzo. Great, great. And this player. was great from player. the. From 1979, when I got a call from Peter, oh and he asked, you know, because I, I wasn't playing music actively at that time. I was working for the state full time. Um, he asked if I wanted to join the band, and let me, let me think now. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Little did I know that what we were going to attempt to do was all in Peter's head right now. So, as we got together, you know, Peter's you know vision was for you know um, double licks guitars. Aggressive music, you know, with Hawaiian flavor. He wanted to exp- explore, you know, multiple harmonies mm-hmm. on traditional Hawaiian songs. You know, he wanted to, um, you know, drive a song like Kaulana Napua to the to the point where it was almost sacrilegious. When I think what you folks did to Kaulana Napua, which always was kind of a sing- singer-songwriter, little four-square, you know, strummy thing prior to what you folks, how you folks played it. Correct. So one of the Kanekapila events that um, was held up at the university, and Peter was basically the promoter and creator of that. Yep. He brought in a, a group of dancers from uh, Rarotonga, and they, you know, out of respect for the Hawaiian culture, they did uh, chant Kalana Napua, completely their style. A little bit more drums, a little bit more aggressive, but with respect. So that went, the light bulb went on for Peter. From there, you know, we worked on this arrangement of Kaulana Napua with double X, aggressive, driving the emotions out there. You know, we know the Queen wrote this song, but this song tells a story about something that everybody got to be that was, Bob, that was um, upset about. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> it just cut through. Oh. <clears throat> so, true story, you know, we, we played it back and, you know, guys was looking at us like, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. You guys did something sacrilegious. <laughs> I mean, we had that we had that reaction. Yeah. Uh-huh. We were trying to find um, female vo- voices to be background singers, you know, on the album, on that song. But nobody wanted to do it because they just felt that no, that's that's not what you're it's supposed to do. It's over the line. Yep. Yeah, you, you guys crossed the line. Yeah. You guys crossed the line. So me and Randy just had to, you know, tighten up and do the, the girls' parts, which we did, you know, we, we did. And at, at that time, too, for those who remember, you know, Kavena Pukui and um, Dorothy Gillette 
uh, all of those in, in the field, Martha Kiaha, uh, in the music field and the Hawaiian language field were still very prevalent oh, and yeah. were very, very taken aback by, you know, by why, this version? Yeah, why, are you, why are you young kids doing that to us? You know, Peter came back and said, isn't this a song of protest? Isn't this what it's about? Yeah, but you know, that's not how, we don't just come out and, and do it like. So we, we, we tried to stand behind a Larry Kimura intro. Because <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Larry you know, yeah, we a whole story up front. Yes. So, okay, we, if Larry's up front, it should, we, we should be all protected. Yeah. <laughs> did it work? Yeah, I guess in, in hindsight, yes, it, yes, it did. <laughs> yeah. Our problem was that everyone was all so young, you know. And progressive and, 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 you know, animated, yeah, which which stirred the pot of our traditional Hawaiian kupuna at that time, you know. But meantime, it woke woke up the um, young ones like like my generation at, at that time who were still teenagers and like, wow, this is incredible. This is what Hawaiian music can be. Mostly all of the harmony vocals were Bob, and the lead vocals were either Randy or Bob. Mm -hmm. So here's the problem. The album, you know, wins five hokus. Right. Okay, how are we going to do this live? Right. <laughs> Sells an incredible amount, like 100,000 units, uh, you know. How are we going to do this yeah. live, guys? Because that was a crazy album it when was, it came it out. Everybody had it on cassette or It was like vinyl. a hurricane yes. that happened. They had to convert it to a band. You know, take it on yeah, the road. so yeah, that then we had to go find guys to help us do it live. So. Yep. So I was a freshman in college, and they were doing the college circuit around Oahu, and then Outer Island circuit sold out. Every every show sold out, sold out, and it was five of you, I believe, right? We added Cyril. Yep. Ainoe. <laughs> and then um, Randy brought in his good friend from Country Comfort, Steve Wooford. Yes. Oh. And Steve came in to play bass, but his style of playing bass is rock and roll. <sighs> you know, like Hawaiian. What is that? So that, that added another dimension to us, because when he's playing standard Hawaiian songs, it's with a rock and roll intention. Yeah. <laughs> yep. We were a weekend band, you know, Friday, Saturday, mm -hmm. special well, shows. Every, yeah, everyone had day jobs shows. as of well. Of course. Special but, but Peter didn't. I mean, no. was that no? enough for that Peter? That was his full-time. Yeah, well, just trying to, you know, uh, organize us for monkeys was a full-time job, right? And it's so perfect then. <laughs> He was a great businessman as well. Very good businessman. Yeah. Great businessman. I, I mean, yeah, to the extreme. Yeah, oh. he, he was very good. Tell us, you know, what to wear, where to be, what time to be on the plane, and everything. He he's laid out our itinerary, <laughs> so you know when you had to breathe. I mean, it was. I make fun of it, but it helped. We yeah. never have to think about that. Yep. We just we just was there for play. Absolutely yeah. structured all the way through. It's serious. I mean, the schedule was down to you know eight fifty five. Oh, you know, wow. meet Whoa. in the lobby. You know, here's the uniform. 32 blue, which meant the number 32 shirt and blue slacks, you know. And, and, and all of us, you know, I mean, we joked about it. Oh, man, geez. But it, we never had to think about it. We could just come and play. To me, Peter, who's basically the glue for all of this, uh, he, he knew what he was doing. Learning and playing with uh, Pops Gabby, Ata Isaacs, and Warmanalo, he knew what he was doing when he was just with the Pioneers the early Sunday Manoa days. He knew what he was doing with Robert and Roland. Every one of his um, different groups or genres achieved mm -hmm. a specific purpose. You know, and when he when he put together the Peter Moon band, it was to just go this way. You, you know. mean out in all directions? Any direction you like. Uh. You know, and smart enough to know who to bring into the band, who can cover all these pieces, you know, mm -hmm. and, and help him finish that painting. I remember we were doing a poolside event. We were background music for some rich person. This is during the day now. Everybody kind of swimming, drinking, and we, Peter Moon Band, playing in the background. <laughs> so Peter just was kind of like very casual, just kind of coasting. So he didn't open up his guitar case. He played the whole set just with his ukulele. Played the same stuff. But he would normally play on guitar. He's playing them with the ukulele. Oh, and 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 we we're like okay well you know yeah, no, you, you don't need to play guitar just play what you like because you're the boss. 
Yeah, still sound the same. <laughs> so, no, talking about that, I, I remember our setup for Peter because I always had to set Peter's instruments for him on stage. So he had an ukulele identical to Bob's and three guitars. And one was tuned slack key uh, to the C6 tuning. One was tuned to the Wahine uh, taro patch A tuning. And then one was standard tuning. And there was always a spare guitar because by and large, we would always break strings on stage. And we play medium gauge strings, which to most guitar players are heavy, heavy gauge. You know, they usually play light gauge. Industrial. Industrial <laughs> strings. <laughs> Very structured. The whole band was was very structured environment for all of us. Do you think it it, it really did achieve the sound he was going for? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, because if it no. didn't, we do it again. Okay. And change it. You know. You know, we've been on stage with Peter. We've been in the rehearsals at his house. You 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 know when there's satisfaction, you can see it. You know, he just kind of like, yep, that's what we're doing. You know, and he just okay. So while he was teaching and he wasn't touring any, anymore, I shared this with Bob, you know, I had the opportunity of, of going over to the house. Uh, he called me up, Ayim. And none of us had first names, you know. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, 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 I'm going to come over, you know, uh, go pick up macaroni salad, you know. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I got to know him uh, really well uh, before he, he got ill. And uh, he shared a lot of uh, interesting backstories with me, you know. But very fortunate, you know, and now I feel that I'm in the position to pass it on to the, the next uh, generation and the generation beyond that, you know. Well, what would you pass on? Uh, one of the hallmarks of the Peter Moon Band that a lot of people don't know is that um, Peter did not like what they call bar chords. And bar chords where you hold the, the whole uh, neck of the guitar with one finger sure. and then form different, uh -huh. but it kind of is more muffled sound. He it didn't is. like that. One of the hallmarks was open chording. It's where you hear the guitars ring all the time. They ring out. It's so crisp. Yes. Sometimes I would sneak and play a bar chord and face away from him, and, but he'd hear it. <laughs> it's a what are you doing? You know? <laughs> well, and, and to their credit, the musicians could, could play that. Yeah. You know, Cyril used to, you know, play standard stuff with slack, with slack in slack key. In slack key. You know. Whoa. And you know, um, and Dwight can do anything. Yes. Steve is like oh, machines. Yep. My brother Steve, they're they're like machines. They can just, you know. And Randy, sometimes I think he gets bored just playing good stuff <laughs> <laughs> on his guitar. So, suffice it to say, I, I had the best seat in the house playing with these guys. One one thing that's interesting for me, because uh, I talked to Dwight about it, you know, and Dwight. As Mark referenced before, he's a hammer. He's a hired gun. He, he's good at everything, you know, playing Hawaiian music. But he himself told me of all the music that he played, he doesn't get a chance to play Peter music, which is the music that the Peter Moon Band play. What you kind know. of music is that? Well, no, which is the more, you know, contemporary, yep. aggressive, rock and roll, borderline, you know, offensive yep. kind of stuff. Yeah, because yeah. if you listen to the music nowadays, there's a lot of traditional type, which is good. And a lot of vocal harmonies, a lot of simple, simpler music. And then, you know, um, there's stuff that, I don't know, I just, you know, the three-chord, four-chord semi-reggae music, there's a lot of that going on. Not too many guys have, you know, tried to or can play what we used to play yep. as a band. And it's very specific. All, every song was an arrangement. Nothing was just pick up and go. You know, every song had an arrangement, every song had an intro, every song had a tag ending specific to that song. You know, just having the opportunity to, to play with these guys, you know, I, I you know consider myself lucky. And when you look back, I hear myself, the music we're playing on the airport, I hear it on radio, I hear it on commercial, you know, it's like, but it's still there. It's still being played. I remember, you know, certain songs, certain venues, certain times where Cyril did this. And I was there to hear Cyril do, do that. Or when Martin recorded Flying in the studio. True story, one take. The song that you hear on vinyl or on whatever is one take. Martin sang the whole song once.
That was Bobby Hall and Mark Lim of the Peter Moon Band reminiscing with HPR's Noe Tanigawa. Prior to forming his own band in 1979, Peter Moon performed with brothers Roland and Robert Casimero as the Sunday Manoa. Those two went on to achieve their own success as a duo, the Brothers Casimero. Noe's interview with Robert Casimero is coming up. We'll be right back after this short break. Like a trade Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Mobi, a Hawaii wireless company since 2005, featuring a locally-based customer care team committed to problem-solving and personal service for each client. Learn more at Mobi.com. HPR Generation Listen invites you to Trivia Night every first Monday of the month at Village Bottle Shop and Tasting Room in Kaka'ako. It's an opportunity to connect with fellow public radio nerds in an evening of lively but friendly competition. Gen Listen connects younger listeners and young at heart listeners with the station and with each other. Connect with us in person at HPR Gen Listen Trivia. Sign up to play at hawaiipublicradio.org slash genlisten. Support for HPR comes from the Hawaii Community Foundation, committed to supporting the people and places affected by the Maui wildfires. Donations accepted at hawaiicommunityfoundation.org slash strong. Welcome back to The Conversation. I'm Catherine Cruz. Let's continue with the second of two Hanaho interviews by HBR's Noe Tanigawa. In this one, she sits down with Robert Casimero, one half of the Brothers Casimero. Over 40 years, he and his brother Roland reigned at two of Waikiki's signature venues, the Monarch Room at the Royal Hawaiian Hotel and the Waikiki Shell. Robert and Roland graduated from Kamehameha schools. Their parents were entertainers, and they fell in with guitarist-composer Peter Moon. In 1969, their trio, the Sunday Manoa, released a cornerstone of the Hawaiian Renaissance. It was called Guava Jam. Here's the opening track, along with Noe and Robert. You know, at first, especially when it comes to the Sunday Manoa, I don't know that we really had a, a, an idea of what it was we were doing as much as it was just a lot of fun. Ah. We were having a lot of fun. And then when along came the, uh, the, uh, the Renaissance period that uh -huh. happened, like, you know, right around that time, the ending of the 60s into the early 70s, and, and we were a part of that, that coming out of uh, now being more proud of who we were as Hawaiians in all different aspects of it. Well, with uh, the Sunday Manoa, you that that group just busted the whole thing open because yeah. you put together um, so many different strands yeah, that we became did. You know, we had, the Renaissance. And Peter had his style and Roland had his style, and then together we kind of like melded it to make it uh, our style at the time, which really had the opportunity to take off and uh, and be a part, therefore, of the, the Renaissance in the latter part of the 70s. And then by the time we started with the Brothers Casimero, it was a time of reinvention again without us really knowing how we were going to reinvent. And that kind of thing happened as it went along, you know, songs that we were going to do, how we were going to do them. <sighs> we received a lot of um, uh, respect and, 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 and love and honor because of those very formulative years. Mm. And uh, Waikiki, no matter where you are in music, especially though in Hawaiian music, it's going to have to take you to the 
you know, the palace of Hawaiian music, which would be the Pink Palace on the beach at Waikiki. <laughs> well, it's almost fateful because, I mean, you sang Royal Hawaiian Hotel on that first Brothers Casimiro album. <laughs> in 1982. Huh? Started the Brothers Casimiro in 75, so it took us seven years before we found, finally got there. And really, we sat down one day and John said, okay, look, uh, this is what's happening. Uh, we might have an opportunity to move into the Royal Hawaiian Hotel. And I was like, I don't know if I want to go to the Royal Hawaiian Hotel. And, right. and so he's... Why? Because it just seems so foreign. It seems so tourist. And we had always been performing for local people. Mm. And he said, no, you know, People need to know that no matter where they're from, especially from Hawaii, that we can go to Waikiki and feel comfortable about it. And, uh, and you know, and eventually we learned how. And I must say, it, it taught me a lot. Yeah. Talk to us about how your repertoire changed, because you went in with this solid repertoire of traditional music. Yes, we did. Yeah. You know? And, you know, in, in, in the old Sunday Manoa days, we would start our show off by saying, we will not be doing songs like Tiny Bubbles, Pearly Shells, Blue Hawaii, and pretty much all those were staples for the Waikiki yep. area. Yeah. You know, uh, I want to go back to my little grass shack, oh. or uh, Night and You in Blue Hawaii. Thank you, Elvis Presley. Eventually, what happened was... You move into the Royal, you start on what you know is you, and then you realize that you have a different kind of audience and that, you know, things shift according to how you can make sure that what you're doing is an experience, not only for the audience, but for yourself as oh. well. And so in that way, it, it, it exploded a bit more. And it really gave Roland an opportunity to to get out there because he was a rock and roll guy. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Roland was a rock and roll guy. Look and at his albums, right? Pele. Yeah, you know, that Pele album to this day, I thought it was so genius when he first uh, let go of it. And, you know, he had asked me to be a part of it and the, the so-called traditionalist that I was at the time, I was very apprehensive about being a part of that album too, but <laughs> in retrospect today... Let's wish. play one thing by him. Sure. What, what should we play? I think for me, I always go back to Destiny. Was it love or was it destiny that brought you home again to me? Dreaming so long for a love long gone without you. sing his songs oh, to my voice. Awesome. Uh, and I, I thought about that for years. I, I just also want to say, too, that, you know, we were really lucky, Roland and I, to be supported by such great people in the industry and in the community because we were upstarts at the time, you know, and there were a lot of, especially the kupuna, who were not very happy with what we were doing. Even my own auntie used to scold us. She'd call the radio station and say, who are those kids? And then she'd call my mother to say, what the hell are your kids doing? You know, but again, oh, okay, I know what this is, what I'm trying to get to. My point is the fact that, you know, you choose a career thinking that you've chosen a career. And what we found out after quite a few years at, at it, I would say about 30 years, what we found out is that, that it actually chose us. And that with that choice comes a certain obligation to keeping it alive, to keeping the memories of those who supported us all those years mm -hmm. alive, to remember what they said, to mention their names, to tell the stories because Otherwise, it's real easy, real easy to forget. And that's why even like this program is important, mm -hmm. Noe, what you're doing. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I've been teaching halal, too, because that's been exactly. such a part. Uh, in, in 2025, we'll be 50 years old. It's the going halal? To be the halal. It's going to be our golden anniversary. Oh, gosh. Okay, let's talk about your halal. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Because you had this life in Waikiki, and 
maybe you were considered an upstart by traditionalists at the beginning, but throughout this, you carried a very strong, you were developing a very rooted knowledge through Maiki Ayu and your hula yes, practice. Yes, it was really something that I hadn't expected, but was totally grateful for. And if it really wasn't for Maiki, I would not have any of that to this day. Mm. And one of my biggest supporters besides my kumu was, of course, Lena Alaini mm -hmm. Kalama, yeah. you know, and those first group of guys, exactly. 15 years old, <laughs> listening to me, telling them what to do and actually doing it. You know, Kalauna Kamalei. Right. My, Mikey oh. used to come to some of the practices and she would say to me, do you have to swear at them like that? And I was like, yeah, I gotta, because they're not going to listen to me. So <laughs> I've got to do this like that. And that they stuck with me and that they've stayed this long gives me the opportunity to say that I, I have learn to be a teacher because of my students and because of the people that have helped me. Well, we were looking forward to seeing your halal in 2020. <laughs> yes. I mean, you guys were just busting tradition yourselves because normally you only come to Mary Monarch every 10 years, but right. hey, five years early you were coming. I know. And then COVID came along and said, no, no, no. So we're going to go back in 25 to celebrate our 50th year. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then after that, you know, I, like I said, I don't know what I'm going to do just yet. Listen now for their version of Kaimanahila, Diamond Head. It features Elizabeth Meheula with her sons, Robert and Roland, the brothers Casimero. I mean, they just come in like angels with their mom. In the album Waikiki, My Castle by the Sea, you do yeah. that amazing song, Kaimanahila, yes. that just like takes a tour of the, of the coastline. So, yeah. you know, can we just look at the song and it, can, yes. can we talk about it a little bit more? Yes, like, we can do whatever you wish. <laughs> Like Ka'alawai. Ka'alawai? Ka'alawai. Ka'alawai. Ka'alawai shores. They could be talking about the Alawai Canal. Yeah. And and gaze up at the grandeur of old Diamond Head, so majestic. Unless it is the name, an old name of an area around there, you know, because the rest we know, Ivaho Waikiki, Ivaho Maki Island. Ivaho and then to make it the park. It used to be all waterways before Kapi'olani Park was. Oh, and the song Maki Ailana is yes. talking about Maki Island, yeah. right? The, the only thing that remains of that island to this day is where the elephants are at the zoo. That was Maki Island right there. And all around it was marshy or, yes. or just yeah, uh -huh. water. And so like people would, you know, row to get out there uh, uh, to Alawai. And Ainahau, of course, was the home of where Princess Kaiulani and her mother and father lived, uh, Archibald Claycorn. thing for me that, that it, it stuck with me all those years and then of course eventually I went for private lessons with my our dear Neva Rego oh. who was our, our, our teacher both Roland and I uh -huh. for years and I was taken there by friends of mine who were already students of her Kaipohale Suzanne Kaupu and uh, Les Sabalos they were all oh, students wow. of Neva and they were the ones who took me to class there it helped with my breathing but it also helped me to to sing with the breath in a style called bel canto so it was pushing it out and that was really helpful in helping me sing for so many years it, it put me over a different 
level. It and said Royal Hawaiian Monarch Room. <laughs> yeah, you know, and then and then to, to Carnegie yeah. Hall yeah. to perform there, and 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 then eventually to many different places, mm -hmm. uh, you know, around the world too. And um, so this voice has been very, very kind to me. Very kind to me. were. I fell in love with this song I love because, it. Uh, from a long time ago, you know, where the moon shines on the sand. Now, I have to say that, yes, the moon is still there. So too is the sand and Waikiki, but it's different. It's not what this song is talking about. And that was the kind of thing in those days and before our time that would bring people to Hawaii. They would want that romance. They would want that Hawaiian words to fantasize that loveliness of, of, of on the beach and guys coming in from the surf and, and the, the local boys over there playing ukulele and anybody can join without any kind of fear or, or even to know that if you go in that water and something is wrong at least 10 guys going to come out there and help you, you know, <laughs> right. not just stand on Ten the beach handsome and guys. Like, like, yeah. And most of them were gorgeous, brown brothers, you know. And of course, that's not to say that they weren't pretty sisters there either. <laughs> but yeah, so Kuhio Beach for me uh, made that Ho'omeamea-ness happen in my heart. Under the palm trees where music talk about those young years? Uh, yeah. Well, I mean... <laughs> I was out there having too much fun. I mean, you know, know. we were eating and drinking and ending up at um, um, uh, Like Like Drive-In, you know, with all the other entertainers in the world. Either that or we'd all end up at some Chinese restaurant with Don Ho. Oh, yeah, where? Makali Chapsui. Girl. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Don was always at Makali. And he would order like he was expecting people to walk in. So you could eat, <laughs> whoever walked in, he'd say, sit down and eat. Hey. You know? <laughs> We were performing here at the Royal, but Loyal was over here across the street. And right next to her was Melvin Leed. And if you went down a little bit further was Nephi Hanneman. Oh, you yeah. keep going and eventually we're gonna meet Gabby them somewhere along the line. And then we all end up at Don Ho's, either in those days, either at uh Dukanamoku's uh in the international marketplace, or then after that he moved to the Hilton Hawaiian village, the dome. Yeah. Everybody knew that you're gonna end up together and all these entertainers would end up that we all knew each other. It was just just that kind of way. Oh, and what a so, wonderful scene. Yeah, so when the young kids say to me, is it really true that you guys would run across Klakau Avenue to go see somebody else? I'd be like, we used to cut our shows short so that we could be there to sing with Loyal Garner at the, at the end of her show. Let me be there in the morning. One of those Hawaiian songs that were adopted, you know. But yeah, and, and, and it was that kind of a community that we had, you know. And then Don, you know, to see Don Ho and... Don was all, boy, what a nice, it's hard to talk about Don. Why? You know, he was, he was, he was such a, a man of many different facets. And it was really difficult sometimes for other people to believe that he was such a centered, a centered in being local. And we were accused of this too, that we had forgotten where we were from. Okay, Noi, you know I'm from Kalihi. How can you ever forget that you're from Kalihi? That's ridiculous. <laughs> a, a pure moron would have to believe that, you know. <laughs> they're going to Waikiki now. They're, they're not like us anymore, you know. And, and so we, we had to fight to do even better mm -hmm. in order to, uh, to gain that respect. And, and to gain respect, to let people know that we're local mm -hmm. and that we embrace it and that I am so proud. <laughs> I am so proud to be of this land. I am. I really am. Those May Days just, they were, we're just an all-out 
thank you. Yeah, I mean, just people... exactly. You know, <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry you guys had to pay because we would do this for nothing. But I mean, somebody got to pay for all those millions of flowers that were put on that stage. Exactly. Oh, the oh my flowers. God. I knew it was ridiculous, you know. So it, fun. Everybody would try to go early. Yeah, and everybody their... shares food. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's I the thing that I used to love, right? You could be, come with nothing and leave so full with change in your pocket. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's wearing lay. Every year was such a major production, like with the laser lights and the, you know, video and whatnot. Yep. You'd expect to see John DeMello come flying by on a wire, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, what he up. did is he tried to put Allah on that and she refused. <laughs> so, you know, we were lucky enough just to get her to walk up some stairs, I'll tell you. But, yeah, they, I mean, so for us, Waikiki, you know, from Diamond Head to the Waikiki Shell to the beach itself to all those hotels and all the way out, you know, theaters and, and opportunities. Is there only one version recorded of Waikiki? By Roland and I? Uh -huh, yes, yeah. just that one. Yeah. There's a feeling deep in my heart Staring at me just like a dart It's a feeling heavenly Amazing. It took us a while. You know why? Because I always had this uh, thought that if it's been done classically already, and I mean really, could anyone ever beat Marlene's size rendition of Waikiki, oh. but when we were at the Royal, it took on an even more special meaning back in those days. Exactly. And to be able to sing that song and to be, you know, it would look right out on the beach, yeah? Which were, most of our friends and family members were on the beach <laughs> at that second show watching what we were doing. So yeah, it was always uh, just a special moment every single time. Listen to the polished recordings and really get no sense of the wicked fun of a Brothers Casimiro live show. So here's a sample quick one, plus the white knuckle version of Waikiki Hula. This is another song called Waikiki, but it is written about a young boy who lives in a district called Kevalo, down where Fisherman's Wharf is today, and the lunch wagons. <laughs> the lunch wagons. I know, that sure sounds good now, yeah. Oh, mixed plate large. Mixed plate large. Oh, with passion orange salad. Right on, bro. Oh. We'll go eat after this show. Anyway. Um, Let's go eat now. <laughs> Good night, folks. That was Robert Casimero talking story with HBR's Noe Tanagawa. It was the second of two interviews Noe did with beloved musicians from the Hawaiian Renaissance of the 1970s. That is it for our Hanaho show. If you missed a show, you can listen back to past shows by going onto the conversation page of our website, hawaiipublicradio.org. Or you can also go to the on-demand section of the HPR mobile app. I'm Catherine Cruz. Join us every weekday from 11 to noon for more of the conversation. 